This week on The Vergecast, we talk about Samsung's new S22 line with Chris Welch, the various tech policy bills in Congress, Microsoft planning to make Call of Duty available on the PlayStation with Addy Robertson, and we get into what's going on with Peloton with new Verge reviewer Victoria Song. It's The Vergecast, coming up now. Support for today's show comes from Deloitte. What does the future look like? By melting business acumen and innovative technology, Deloitte can help you build the future only you can imagine. They can help engineer solutions for your business reality today and your vision for tomorrow to get you to a world where you don't just dream it, you build it. See how you can engineer advantage with Deloitte at Deloitte.com slash US slash engineering advantage. Support for this show comes from Slack. You're a growing business and you can't afford to slow down. If anything, you could probably use a few more hours in the day. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Hello and welcome to VergeCast, the flagship podcast of ill-advised tech regulation. Huh? Back <laughs> of the juices flowing? Yeah. You ready? I'm ready. We had a marketing meeting. Like, we got to make it more mainstream. And I, that's, my, that's my pitch. Regulations. Anyway, I'm your friend, Eli. Dieter Bone is back. Woo! I am your uh, prodigal son. <laughs> that's a lot, Dieter. <laughs> that's, uh, we're going to spend the next hour unpacking that one. Uh, it's going to be a wild ride. Alex Trans is here. I'm very worried about my Wordle streak. It's bad. Our newsroom just fell into chaos. Yeah. Actually, Chris Welch is here. Hi, Chris. Good to be back, as always. Chris is part of the chaos. <laughs> like I was like, hey, the New York Times has its Wordle up, and then the... the I'm blaming Apple. I think yeah. whatever Apple did with cookies on the iPhone is messing with people's Wordle streaks. Ruined my streak. Because technically, powerlanguage.co.uk on the New York Times website is a third-party cookie. I'm not allowed. Tim Cook, I know you're listening. Please give me my streak it's, back. It's, tomorrow morning at 4 a.m., he's on a treadmill listening to this. <laughs> and I'm saying the whole ad tracking thing, yeah. It was bad for Facebook. The Wordle thing is when it blows back yeah, on you, yeah. buddy. All right. Well, hopefully the Times fixes. We have, uh, I will say this, we have reached out to the New York Times for comment on Wordle Streaks. <laughs> There's a lot of news. Chris is here to help us talk about the Samsung Galaxy S22 event, which was this week. Addy's going to join us a little bit later. There's a bunch of policy news. Microsoft put out this wild antitrust uh, letter about app stores. The Earn It Act passed in the Senate. There's a 230 reform bill. Lots of action there. And then Victoria Song, who's not been on the virtual yet, but she's going to join us talk about what's going on with Peloton. We're going to do a little bit of a lightning round. So lots going on. Let's start. It was S22 Unpacked happened this week. Chris, you have held an S22. Tell us about it. I held all three uh, for about an hour, uh, and they were just what was leaked. There were no surprises at this event, as is usual for Samsung <laughs> these days. <laughs> we knew the whole story weeks in advance. Uh, but so the S22 Ultra, I guess, is the most newsy of them, uh, since it is a note 
essentially, uh, in form and function and feel. Uh, they gave up on the Ultra from last year, changed that design back to the Note. Uh, they're not calling it the Note because the uh, the Note is more of an overarching experience, they're saying now. That's cross-device. Oh. oh, my God. Since the S Pen works on the Z Fold 3 and tablets, no one cares about the S Pen on those devices, Grant, <laughs> you know. But, uh, but yes, yeah, so the Note. <laughs> What's the Note? Yeah. What's a note? The note is a, a feeling. It's an emotion. You know it. You know it in your heart. There was a line at the event where they're like, "We've done some amazing engineering to make the stylus go right into the phone." <laughs> and I was like, "Didn't you? Haven't you been doing that for like almost a full decade?" <laughs> I mean, the note. If you look, it, it's the note. I just called it the note. The S twenty two Ultra looks like a note. If yeah. you had just seen it next to the other phones and there were no labels on them. You're like, oh, they released two gal two Galaxy S22s and a note. Like that's it it's got like the square, it's got the curved edges and the curved screen. Um, it has a, a different style of camera bumps, which we need to talk mm -hmm. to for the next three hours. <laughs> but like I would not be shocked if what happened here was they were like, we're gonna bring the note back. And then the the S22 Ultra team was like, we're gonna make it Ultra 2. And somebody at some point was like, hang on a minute. And then they just killed the S22 Ultra. Yeah. I think yeah. That's, they've been heading in this direction for two or three years now. Yeah, it seems like sales have been pretty off the mark. And so clearly they're trying to like readjust and bring back an old fan favorite. Someone tweeted at me. They were like, well, the Note doesn't really mean anything to people anymore because of the Note 7 or whichever one went, went up in flames. And so they were like, well, they've moved away for that reason. And I'm like, I'm not sure if that's really the reason why. I feel like Note still means more to people than Ultra does. They should have moved away with that with the Note 8. Yeah. Right. I feel like if you're going to make that call, you would have done it with the one right after the one that burst into flame. Because it was only last year that they didn't release a note, right? I need to just tell everyone. Alex and I are in the same room, and whenever I do the show in our studio, in the office of another person, like I just like lose. I'm you just like the happiest. Time. Yes. It's, so I apologize. It's so also, and, it's and Debo's back. I mean, it's just like. I'm going to have to hold it in. It's a big day for you. It's a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> Phone's boring. Verge has to be off the chain. <laughs> um, but right, they, that idea that they would kill the note has been around for a long time. I feel like the phones just ran into each other. Yeah. They've brought the stylus to all kinds of other phones. And then importantly, I think the S line, they need to do something to get some shine back on it against the iPhone. Like the sales have been down. And so they, they need to redifferentiate it. And a stylus is like a good way of doing it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But they could have just always <laughs> bought a convinced. note. Yeah, like, that's true. Like the note was always <laughs> there. All right. But tell me about the phones. Give me the rundown of the three phones. Uh, so the Ultra starts at $1,200, I believe. Uh, and it's really nice. It's got a nice screen, better cameras, uh, bigger sensors, all the usual, like very iterative year over year stuff. The S22 Plus is $999, 6.6 6 inch screen. It's got slightly worse cameras, but still really nice hardware. Like people are saying it's boring, it's boring, it's boring. But like my angle on those two phones is Samsung is more just like uh, consistent these days than ever before when it comes to hardware. Their screen quality is always that much nicer than what's on a Pixel or like other Android phones. They always mm -hmm. save like the best components for their own hardware. Yeah. So there's like there, there's a case to be made for buying an S22, even if it seems boring or very iterative over last year. Uh, that's true of the S22 Plus, I think. The S22 is a harder case because they cut quite a few things out. Uh, the S22 Plus has Wi-Fi 6E, but not Wi-Fi. And the S22 has Wi-Fi 6. The S22 Plus has, that's got ultra wideband. The S22 doesn't for some reason. Oh, that's wild. Yeah, not the 5G, just the ultra wideband, like finding technology, the location tracking stuff. Uh, for some reason, yeah. they'll cut that out. Oh, okay, okay, okay. 
And then the battery is much smaller. It's 3,700 milliamps in the S22 versus 4,500, I believe, in the S22 Plus. So that's quite a reason to go uh, for the larger one as well. Yeah, for uh, so the S22 is 799, which is like at that point, it's a bit harder to like justify versus like a Pixel 6 or OnePlus or. Well, it's not horrifically ugly. Yeah. I think it's like important <laughs> at that price point. <laughs> what you're getting is like a measure of, of design. It's a very measured design. Thought. Yes, and the yeah. bezels are now symmetrical. No, it has the good camera bump. It's got the yeah. symmetrical bezels. It's, it's more squared off. It's got the good camera bump. Mm-hmm. How did the regular S22 feel like size wise? Because it's what, 6.2? 6.1 inches. It's, oh, it's 6.1. Yeah. It counts, that counts as small now in Android world. Did it feel small? Did it feel like, oh, this is like, if you want a small Android phone, this is the one to get? It felt like iPhone 12, 13 ish size which i guess is right just like that okay uh, the new normal i yeah. guess uh, uh for small phones but yeah they all felt really nice as they should uh, there's no more plastic on the back of the s22 whereas there was on the s21 so at least samsung stepped that up for the price but yeah we'll see what they do i mean uh, the cameras seem nice uh, they're making a big deal out of uh, the night mode this year which they're calling nightography they've got a brand everything oh, uh, no. so <laughs> nightography <laughs> is the new selling point of the s22 oh, series no. No. Uh, yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> That's so good. It's just imagine that meeting. Yeah, so the night shots are supposed to be like more detailed and better. Uh, and then the, uh, for the portrait mode, they claim that it can now separate like an individual strand of hair from the background when it uh, blurs the background. Which Oh, that would be cool. That's always been a pain point for all phones. So uh, we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. But like if they did it, mm-hmm. that, did you get to test the, the cameras at all? Like I took like one portrait. Yeah, I didn't really see. Uh, so just wait for our review, which should be coming in the fairly near future. Yeah. Oh, was it really Zoom background-esque? Yeah. Uh, okay. So, but they're Samsung phones. They're nice. Uh, the software, they have. They now have four years of Android updates, they just said this week. So uh, when you're beating Google at software, like I think that's a good thing. <laughs> that is like legitimately wild, actually. This is a really basic question. I'm sorry I'm asking it, but... Will the cases make the camera bump flush? Like, have you seen the case situation? Yep. Uh, there's a photo that I took of the S22 Ultra. I don't think it's in the story. Uh, but yes, uh, Samsung's own cases will flatten out the camera bump. I, I don't know. Like, I was a fan of the S21 Ultra, because if you're going to have that many camera holes, just own it and flaunt it. Yeah. That's a yeah. sentence I never saw myself saying in my life. But uh, <laughs> here we are. And so I think... <laughs> That camera bump was great, and it looked really nice on the S21, especially the black one. Yeah. Uh, so this is like just a bunch of holes popping out. So yeah, put a case on there though, and it's flat on a table. The, yeah, the Ultra is definitely headed towards you know um, what's it called? Fear of holes. Yeah. Don't don't say it. That everyone will <laughs> you're going to trigger it. Yeah. And I'm like looking at this. I'm like, ooh, it's. It's the little flash that gets me. Like everything's very <laughs> symmetrical, and there's a little flash in there, yeah, and I'm just like, little, little guy, just take <laughs> it out. Does it look better in person? The the non camera bump like rings around all the separate cameras. I think so. The phone in general looks a lot better in person than it did in uh, those leaks and renders because yeah, the matte glass is really nice. The colors this year are pretty nice. The green and uh, the white especially is that's like, green. Uh, it's like a gray. Yeah, it's one green. of those phones that like. Takes on a different shift and different lighting. So uh, I see. It's got a very turquoise element to it. Yeah. What are these? So I'm counting. Let's just I'm gonna go ahead and count holes here. Uh, <laughs> one, <not>. two, <laughs> three, four, five, and then Alex's little flash. A little flash. What What's going on here? What are these cameras? So there's the main camera. Uh, there's the ultra wide, and then there are two telephotos. And I think the other one is like a laser focus. It does have a little red dot. And so one's like a faster aperture uh, portrait lens, and then. 
uh, the other telephoto is like the 10x optical, 100 times space zoom nonsense that uh, they've had for a couple of years. So, <laughs> that's a, yeah. so that's fascinating, right? Because that has been a trade-off. You can have the sort of like less zoom, better at portrait, like kind of like 50 mil-ish, 85. But that's like where the iPhone is. It's where traditional portrait photography is. And like mm-hmm. you can pick that or you can pick the crazy lens. And now Samsung is like, what if we don't? Both lenses. And I'm just wondering, like, are we going to get to a place where there's 10 lenses on the back of a phone? God, I hope so. Like, you know, it's like, <laughs> it's just like, it seems very obvious that the the trend line is towards more cameras rather than one, yeah. like, like <laughs> maximally useful one. Interchangeable cameras. That's what I want. I want to just screw cameras. Yeah, let's put an email out on the back yeah. of one of these phones. Yes. Like, let's do it. Let's just go. I mean, isn't isn't that what the red phone was supposed Aww. to be? <laughs> but like implemented they, well. They even talked about having adapters, like Metabone style adapters for it. Yeah, and then they're like, we're also going to do a 3D screen. <laughs> just do one thing at a time. That's what I'm saying. And that one thing is the mouth. Samsung did make a, 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 a camera that was like an Android camera. Yes. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that thing? Yeah. And it was, it was, they, I think what we're all learning about super high-end photography is like, you need a lot of processing. Yeah. But Samsung was like, what if we took a low-end Android phone and then that was a camera with a big lens and it was uh it was a the choice. Wrong choice. Yeah. <laughs> it's not the right choice. It's a nice experiment. Just trying new things. I I, pre- I I thought that thing was gonna be a revolution. I will I will stand up here and take that hit. I looked at that thing and I was like, this is the future of cameras. And then I held one and I was like, crap, I think I said that out loud. <laughs> abort, abort. <laughs> Delete. <laughs> what else? Tell me more. I mean, I don't know, don't know like how much more else there is to say. They're super nice phones. They're Samsung phones. The software is in a good place. I mean, Pixel's had all these bugs lately, whereas like some, yeah. somehow we're in this place where one UI is like a pretty stable, good software experience, and Google's having some issues. Well, uh, so they tried to one up Google too, right? With the updates, right. yeah, with the updates, just saying, okay, yeah, we're gonna do one four years instead of three. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that so? I don't know. Is that real? Like in Android world. The churn is always faster, right? And then all the carriers right now are just like doing incredible trade-in deals and subsidy deals. I wonder if they're like, we can just say this, and maybe it will never come. Like by, at the <laughs> we'll end of four years, <laughs> there's going to be like two people with phones, and we can just write them a check. Yeah, they'll be fine. <laughs> Isn't the processor here? Like on stage, they like didn't say he was making the processor. There's a little bit of mystery there. Yeah, I mean, Samsung never likes to name the processor. That's because there's two, right? Outside in certain regions outside the U.S., they're going to get their whatever their new Exynos is. And but here in the U.S., it's like the first mainstream phone with the Snapdragon eight Gen one. Yeah. What a beautiful name. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I love yeah. it. Yeah, they didn't really talk up like the speed and performance. They were talking about like heat dissipation and stuff in the Ultra to like keep it running full throttle all the time. <laughs> and so we'll see how that actually checks out. Actually, it's super fascinating that they spent more time talking about heat dissipation than they did like just speed. Like they've got like a, a new vapor chamber that's all fancy and it, like they like using like pressed steel in a new thing and they've got like a different kind of gel in there or something. And like there has been concerns about this processor in particular, just flat out running hot and just like using up a bunch of watts. And so Qualcomm, you know, the knock is they wanted to at least pretend like they were catching up to Apple a little bit. So they just like 
threw a ton of power at it, <laughs> and it may not. Um, it may melt your phone. Well, but it, it, there's heat, but there's also just battery life. This is why I'm concerned about the small S22. Is if like it's got a relatively small battery with a processor that uh, we don't know much about, other than, huh, it sure does like to throttle. Could we find ourselves with like a phone that lasts four hours and also can cook cook an egg? <laughs> like, is that a real possibility? Yeah. Yes. Or it lasts four hours, but it's dismally slow. Okay. Or no, it lasts That's a long time. It lasts like realistic. a full day. Yeah. But it's like extremely slow because the vapor chamber is just doing vapor chamber stuff. Just vaporing. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how that uh, works. <laughs> by the way, I, we had uh, the CEO of Qualcomm, Christiana Amant, on Decoder, and I was like, what is the deal? Why do you own all these markets? Right? Like, why can't anyone else ship a modem in the United States? And why are all these phones Snapdragon chips? Yeah. Indeed, are you be happy to hear this. He was like, yeah, the carriers demand it. <laughs> oh, great. He was just like very Perfect. much like, yeah, the, every phone in the United States is sold by a carrier and they have a list and we're the list. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, so it goes. Like, do, do, do. <laughs> Don't know how, what to do about that. Uh, which is interesting because we've heard, right, that Google might be looking at Exynos stuff for its future roadmap. So just kind of just a weird, I don't know what point this is, like a crossover point between the two if you believe the Pixel is like realistic competition to these phones, right? Which, yeah. uh, I mean, but also like the the Tensor process of the Pixel is for like all intents and purposes uh, Exynos with some you know Google stuff on it. Um, you know, like the difference between a Fab and like the chip designer and like you know who who gets to put the branding on it gets very very fuzzy there. And I don't know, not for nothing, but Samsung's Exynos chips, there's like they've got good years and they've got very bad years, and you never know. And so. The fact that they only ship Qualcomm in the U.S. is like annoying from a I hate monopolies perspective, but um, just fine in terms of bullet dodging. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Okay, so here's the thing: when I was watching the event, that just jumped out at me, and I promised myself I wouldn't like freak out in the moment. Yeah, I would wait until Chris had seen the phones. The displays have something called Vision Booster. Mm. And the demo in the video was like, we're always looking at the ambient light and the brightness around us, and then we're just going to mess with the picture on your display. No. And so the, the actual <laughs> image was like a it. face in a black in a black background. Yeah. And like with Vision Booster, and then like you could see everything in the background. Yeah. And I was like, I have a lot of concerns mm. about like. I don't think that data was there to begin with. <laughs> like, that's not how JPEGs work. But it's also nuts, right? Yeah. Like, in terms of like what people might intend for you to see, like you're watching a movie, like you're watching Batman, and it's like lit like The Office because your vision booster is like freaking out. Like, <laughs> so Chris, you saw it. <laughs> Tell me it's not as nuts. Tell me it's the nightography of display algorithms. <laughs> Uh, it was hard to get a sense of like what it really does in the short time I was on the phones, but apparently it's not an option that you, that you toggle on or off. Oh. It's just like part of the panel tech. Oh no! So it's just active oh. all the time. It's just oh. on always. You can't turn and it off. So <laughs> you can't toggle it off. As far as I know, that's what they told me initially. Well, so they started by saying it was for being outside in, in like bright sunlight, okay. which I buy, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but also like if you're sitting in the dark as well, like they want it to like turn down the brightness and like maintain all that detail, color, whatever. And so it sounds like it's just like part of like the Samsung display tech. They've got some new like uh, feature in there that'll like balance everything out, but we'll have to see if it looks weird once you spend more time with the phone. I, I want to say maybe it was Samsung. Even some TV companies have like flirted with this idea of like adjusting the gamma depending on how bright the room is and stuff. So I like kind of makes sense, but also I don't want 
my phones intelligently. I'm putting quotes around that. <laughs> Like figuring out what I should be looking at. I just we're gonna get the phones and we're you know we're gonna review them and we're gonna take photos with them and look at the photos and we are just getting to a place where you have no idea what the display of your phone is doing. Yeah. Like just yeah. almost none at all. It's just trying to be an artist. It's like like directors. I cannot wait for a director to get wind of this oh, and be like they are Christopher Nolan. Is I'm sorry. Like, if you so went to Christopher mad. Nolan and you're like, look, I think Tenet looks bad on this new Galaxy phone, he would shoot you for watching his movie on a phone. <laughs> like, he'd be like, I have an idea. I'm going to go back in time and murder you. What if we, what if it, is it on the Tab 8 as well? Uh, I don't think they mentioned the tabs. I think it's okay. mostly okay. Uh, the phones as far as I heard. Yeah, so the, it's, I think it, the Vision Booster is, I think, t- I, I could be wrong, but I think it's only on the S22 Ultra because the S22 Ultra has an LTPO display, whereas the regular S22 and S22 Plus are more traditional OLED. They all do the dynamic refresh rate stuff, so they can go from, I think, Chris, it's, it's from 10 to 120, right? Yeah. Not 1. Uh, so the S22 and S22 Plus do 10 to 120, and the Ultra does 1 hertz to 120, since it is the right. LTPO. So, gotcha. Yeah. Allison is reviewing them. We're just going to have to see see what they look like to her. But the thing is, there's no reference point. Like, we're, <laughs> we're getting to the place where, like, truth in imagery is no longer a what concept. What is a picture? Like, if you were like, this looks inaccurate <laughs> compared to, like, this graphic designer's perfectly calibrated monitor with a hood on it. Like, no normal person is like, well, that's a problem. They're like, is it very bright? And so we're, I'm telling you, color is a concept. I hate it. Is unmoored from reality. I hate it. Are we going to have to talk about primary and secondary qualities now? Yes. Like, the philosophical that's terms? That's why you're back. Because I don't, yeah. don't want to do it. <laughs> I tried to do stuff like that last week. Everyone just looked at me like I was nuts. It's true. <laughs> uh, look, like we had a brief moment where we had this illusion that there was such a thing as picture accuracy. You know, like we, we got rid of CRTs and like terrible, you know, broadcast images. We had HD and we had Blu-ray and like we could all pretend that there was such a thing as like the director's intent being displayed in your living room. And now that's gone. And uh, I think that's great. <laughs> we, we, we never should have pretended it existed in the first I, place. I fully disagree with you because we've handed the power to a cabal of Samsung engineers <laughs> who are like, what if you could see in the background of every photo? Make Batman look What if look there like were the no office. shadows anymore? The Samsung experience. <laughs> Everything just looks like you, walk, you walked into an Apple store. <laughs> yeah. Like, no thank you. We'll see. I will see. It could I'm be cool. I'm poor Allison is going to get so many just like outrage slacks about color accuracy. Which is really <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be bad. I'm just saying, like it's it's the equivalent of of motion smoothing, but for phones. Ugh. You know, and everybody loves motion smoothing. No Everyone one wants loves their it. phone to have a soap opera. Effect. Who is the person that yeah. actively loves motion smoothing? Oh well, no, my stepmother does. Interesting. It was really upsetting. <laughs> <laughs> Big fight as I calibrated a TV at, oh, over wow. Christmas. This is a true story. Joanna Stern's father. Well, I went to their house one time and I like turned off motion smoothing. <laughs> and to this day, he's like, that's the, that's the kid who broke my TV. Gonna <laughs> <laughs> start a support group for him. Like, and I my get stepmom. texts from her. She's like, I'm visiting my parents. My dad's still mad at you. <laughs> Uh, a real a real situation. Uh, okay, those are the phones. They're pretty iterative, I think, is what we're saying. Yeah, so as far as, like, will they solve, like, Samsung's sales problem or, like, cause people to, like, upgrade from an S20? Like, is this just, like, a holding pattern until foldables become more mainstream? Like, yes. Who's to say? That's where Alex is. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it's interesting. You know, Apple sales are through the roof. I mean, they just had, like, a bonkers quarter. 
and that does not seem to be translating everywhere else. And I can't – it's some combination of the phones are really good. People really like them. People are switching. Apple's very proud of that. And also, the carriers are desperate to get people on 5G networks, and they're subsidizing right. everything the hell and back. And even mm-hmm. Apple will like tell you, like, oh, this is pretty cool. So it's it's not Apple TV Plus motivating people to switch. <laughs> it's that one John Hamm commercial. People are like, I got to get a new phone. I mean, Samsung did bounce back a little bit last quarter. They they did have you know record revenue, but they were it was it was pretty dire before. Mm-hmm. So I don't think they're out of any woods yet. I mean, a lot of this is going to be like, what will will carriers uh, go nuts trying to sell this phones the way they went nuts trying to sell iPhones? Yeah, the, uh, right, yeah Samsung has one cool deal. Or if you pre-order, uh, they'll double the storage you ordered. So if you order the 120, you'll get the 256 and like up from there, which is pretty nice. And I think some carriers are also doing that, which is pretty decent deal to move some units. But they look like Samsung phones. They feel like Samsung phones. We'll see if the cameras are really that much of a jump up. But if you missed the note, it's back. Yeah. All right. There's two other things we got to talk about that we watch for. And there's new tablets. It seems like Android tablets... Like the energy is back, right? We heard was it Rich Miner, who's a longtime Google executive, is now running uh, an Android tablets group inside of Google. Samsung is like actually saying out loud that it makes tablets and showing them to people <laughs> in a way that it has it's not. Admitting. Right? I mean, like they've made good tablets for a long time, but they haven't. There's the enormous Android e ink tablet <laughs> market. <laughs> That's just me and four people in China. Uh, (laughs) But it seems like there's a little heat on Android tablets. So let's talk talk about these and then talk about that generally. Chris, what's going on with these tablets? Uh, So I saw the Ultra one. I didn't really spend too much time with any of them, honestly. Uh, But the Ultra is the big one with the notch. And that uh, that brought me back to the Samsung ads. They used to run with uh, the the family with the notch haircut back when they were making fun of the iPhone. And sure enough, here we are. Uh, but they said, you know, it's all about screen real estate, screen to body ratio. Uh, but the screen is gorgeous. It's like a 14 whatever inch, uh, 120 hertz OLED screen. Like you're seeing like a future iPad Pro display right now, essentially. Uh, but it's just on a Samsung tablet. Uh, but it's always the software that's the issue. You know, it's still giant Android apps. That problem hasn't really gotten any better. Uh, but as far as the hardware, like Samsung's on point. I just... Couldn't see myself paying that much money for an Android tablet, like no matter how beautiful uh, the screen is. So it's running Android 12, but it's not running like Android 12 L isn't out yet. So um, that's the multitasking is like Samsung's take on moving Windows around an Android and then also DeX, which um, DeX is fine. <laughs> but it, it, you definitely like like Dan has tried to live on DeX uh, a lot, and he like runs into the limitations of it all the time. As much as I trust the Vergecast listener to know what you're talking about, quickly explain what DeX is. <laughs> uh, DeX is Samsung's desktop interface. Like that's then like you can. You, it used to be that they were trying to get it so like you would like take your phone and plug it into a monitor, mm-hmm. and then you would get a desktop version of your phone on the monitor. So you could do some of that stuff with this. Um, if you like put it on a, put a keyboard and you got a keyboard mouse and all that, they're also doing something where, um, you can have it serve as a second monitor for Samsung galaxy PCs. So it's not continuity; It's just second monitor stuff. Like the iPad is done forever. And then they're also like, there's like a couple of apps where like you can use your phone as like a satellite display for like a color palette picker or something. But, you know, I, I think that I would not buy this thing assuming that you could definitely like get real work done on an Android tablet until a bunch of viewers are like, holy shit, you can get it. Like, <laughs> I would wait for that moment if I were you. Why didn't they just put Chrome on it? 
like, why isn't it just Chrome OS instead of Android? In the tablet form, I feel like they're functionally the same. Mm. Uh, I may be wrong here. Have you seen the Pixel? Remember the Pixel Slate? I was the one person who liked it, and I still have, like, concerns that I was wrong. But I was right. You were super wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Android on Chrome is not there yet, and that's what the apps are. And, um, you know, like, sure, I'm sure it's possible to make a very nice uh, Chrome OS tablet. Lenovo actually makes a pretty good low-cost one. But if you want, like, that whole, like, if you want apps, Chrome OS just doesn't isn't there not really and i don't know samsung makes chromebooks they know how they sell they know who they sell them to and i'm sure they understand that the market for these tablets is very different 100 percent. yeah nobody's spending a was it 10.99 for a chrome os 14 inch tablet no i don't i don't think that that is a validated That's, market segment yet no. it could be i mean anything is possible google wants it to be uh <laughs> Okay, those are the habits. The reason I brought I bring them up is only because it just seems like we're in for some action on the Android tablet front yes. over time. I'm not saying that this represents action; it's just evidence of my belief. Uh, all right, last thing, we just have to talk about the sleepy animals. Uh, so the <laughs> they're very good. Uh, so there's a Galaxy Watch Four, and they're getting it's getting new health and fitness features. By the time this is out, actually, it should be rolling out. February 9th, it's supposed to roll out. It, none of this matters except the sleep tracking will be guided by animals, cartoon animals. And here, I'm just going to read the names. There's an unconcerned lion. There's a sensitive hedgehog. There's a nervous penguin, which is a real. There's a sun-averse mole. A cautious, <laughs> a cautious deer. An easygoing walrus. An alligator on the hunt. And then exhausted shark. What is so I can I can connect all of these to like like a sleep personality except for alligator on the hunt. Yeah. <laughs> what does that That's say about your sleep? <laughs> is that like insomnia? Like? Yeah, this is very like tag yourself situation of all these characters. <laughs> I'm the tired shark. That's me. Yeah, <clears throat> I've always, I've been an unconcerned lion the whole time. Let's just be honest. <laughs> Nervous penguin. If you're like self-identifying as nervous penguin, like I just want you to feel better about yourself. <laughs> like you're great. All right. And I love you. Anyway, it's hilarious. I hope Apple copies this immediately. Uh the end. Okay, we gotta take a break. Chris, thank you so much for being here. Absolutely. We're gonna come back. Addie is gonna walk us through some of the antitrust and policy stuff happening this week. We'll be right back. Support of the Vergecast comes from Shopify. Whether you're a huge company or a small crafter trying to make a buck off your hobby, selling online is one of the best ways to grow. Shopify is one of the top e-commerce platforms that you can use to get started. But it's not just online. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. And you can sell wherever, online or with their in-person point of sale system. You can also sell more with less effort with their AI-powered tool, Shopify Magic. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. You might recognize more brands who already use Shopify, like Rothy's, Brooklinen, Allbirds, and more. Millions of entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries rely on Shopify for their e-commerce needs. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash vergecast. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash vergecast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash vergecast. Support for this podcast comes from Constant Contact. 
If you're a business owner, you already know that it's really, really hard to cut through the noise of everyday life. If you want to connect with your customers, you need to break through the noise. You need Constant Contact. Constant Contact is a marketing platform that makes it easy to reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and connect over email, text, social media, and more. Whether you're a marketing guru or just learning the ropes, Constant Contact offers writing assistance tools and automation features that make it simple to say the right thing at the right time. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. We're back. Addie Robertson's here. Hey, Addie. Hey. All right, Dieter, as we were going to break, you reminded me that you have a recurring segment. Yeah. No, we, all of us together. We together. We have- As a family. We have This Week in Lock-In, which is our our weekly Never Forget About Antitrust segment, where we we talk about (laughs) how you can never escape the platform that you're on. If there's anything the show is about, it's consistency in remembering (laughs) ideas that we had. Uh, Okay. So this week in Lock-In, there's actually quite a lot of antitrust news this week. Addy, you had a big explainer of the Open Markets Act, which passed out of committee in the Senate last week. That has some big implications. And then Microsoft just sort of like YOLO'd out a letter (laughs) that was like, we're good with this. Like. It turns out we don't have a successful app store, <laughs> except on the Xbox. So let's not talk about that. But we're good with these ideas. So we got to unpack that. Obviously, that's in context of Activision Blizzard. And then there's uh, another bill that passed out of committee today called the Earn It Act, which is totally different. But just a lot of tech policy stuff. Let's start with Open App Markets Act. What is that? What's the status? What would it do? Um, So the Open App Markets Act was introduced last year and just passed out of committee last week nearly unanimously, which means it's going to get a floor vote in the Senate, still waiting on a House uh, committee vote. So it's still a a ways away, but it's making serious progress and there's serious momentum behind it. Um, And the sort of TLDR of the bill is anything you've heard developers complain about Apple doing in the last year this will stop it. (laughs) (laughs) So the sort of centerpiece of it is developer payment processing. So this is the thing that was kind of at the center of Apple, of Epic versus Apple, saying that if you run an app store of a sufficient size, it only applies to to very large app stores. Um, You can't require developers on your platform to use your in-app payment processing system. Then the other really big piece is that you have to allow installation of apps outside the app store, which essentially is sideloading. And the important caveat is that this applies to general purpose computing platforms, quote unquote, which is basically understood as phones and computers. So there's, if you're worried about like, is this going to apply to Xbox and PlayStation, the answer is probably no. So it's overwhelmingly a, we need to make sure that Apple and Google can no longer monopolize app distribution on their platforms bill. And it came out of, right, there was all those antitrust hearings that we covered. Then there was like more hearings and various committees. The House did a bunch of stuff, but it's moving through the Senate faster than the House at this point. 
Yeah. So it's gotten a vote in committee in the Senate. It has not gotten a vote in committee in the House. And then the big one for me is allowing sideloading. That's a nuclear move for these platforms. They are going to fight tooth and nail against it. But the you can use whatever payment processing service you want actually just undoes the economic model of the stores as we have come to understand them. So it's what's interesting to me is like there's obviously Apple and Google are pushing back furiously on this. They just don't seem to get any traction. Is that just is the sort of bipartisan consensus about these bills like we can just be mad at Apple and Google and that's fine? They went very hard after Apple and Google in the markup. Um, They started with Basically saying in the 90s, Microsoft wanted to tax everything that went over the internet. Microsoft failed. Apple and Google succeeded. And like Microsoft has come out, not ironically, uh, somewhat fittingly in favor of this. (laughs) And there's a bunch of other support behind it. The pushback on it actually is not really about Apple and Google, though. It is about the language in the bill that's a separate section that's about preferencing, which in... This is a thing that's come up in Apple's case where the argument is that it treats its own first party apps different from third party apps by like prioritizing them. The big criticism of this is that if these platforms want to just moderate their stores by kicking things out that break their policies, that then this creates this weapon to take them to court on a sort of frivolous basis, that it's an addition to the current ways that you would be able to go after them um, that might not necessarily fly in court, but that's going to either drag the process out to the extent that these platforms don't really want to moderate anymore, or that's going to get them in discovery. So a bunch of potentially embarrassing, even if they're not incriminating documents come out and again, discourages them from moderating. I mean, they don't moderate already. Like they only moderate when somebody says, hey, you should moderate that. That's the argument, is that it's the the parlor protection bill, is uh, what some people have dubbed it. Um, that they do moderate sometimes. They kick out apps like Parler, where they're just they're doing something that the platforms find and the public finds really egregious. Um, and then Parler, of course, tried to sue. Well, I was thinking of all the the Wordle. Right, you were thinking of like Wordle. Clones yeah, I was thinking and of Wordle clones, like all the the scams and stuff. Like they they they've already struggled for years to effectively moderate the store. Well, struggle implies that they've tried, tried very hard and <laughs> failed, right? Like, I think we know that in the case of Apple, like... There's like one guy there who's probably struggled. I think it's like 500 people. I think we actually yeah. know the number from the Epic case, right? And it's like, it's just much smaller than you would expect. And really what they care about is, did you implement in-app purchases such that Apple can take its cut? And like, this would change that dynamic in a serious way. Yeah. I think that the flip side of that is... Right, all of the attendant arguments about safety and security that come with sideloading. So now you're not allowed to moderate your own store to make sure it's really safe. And you're also like allowing sideloading, which you can't control at all. So like the sort of like have your cake and eat it too aspect of sideloading yeah. that I have always envisioned, which is well, if you want the Tim Cook's internet, you can like go to the store and get it. And if you are an adult, you can just <laughs> Download and run apps yourself like every other computer in the world. (laughs) And this feels like maybe it would cut off the other option that actually makes the risk worth it. But I haven't seen it addressed in that way. Yeah. Well, there's a section of the bill that tries to address security that's this uh, kind of 
general, if you can say that this thing is done for reasonable purposes of security and you couldn't do it in another way, then you're not going to be found to be violating this. But that's the kind of thing that seems really difficult to predict how it's going to be used. Yeah. And it, I, I think there's an element to all this where it's it's very much too clever. I'm trying not to use the word neoliberal or technocratic. <laughs> like it's they like wait, like just let people do sideloading. And I would maybe solve all of the problems, right? But instead, you're like, we're going to do sideloading and we're going to tightly regulate this store and try to address everything that we could possibly think of that is a problem with this idea. And the answer is like, I don't know that. Well, you can write that rule. The broadband carriers in America have a rule that looks just like it. Do you know if they're throttling your traffic for security reasons or not? They're just throttling you. You're just like doing whatever they want. They do whatever they want. Like, they how are you going to actually monitor whether that rule is being used the way that anyone says that they wanted to? Like, it's it's too clever by half, I think, is kind of how it all sounds to me. But it is fascinating that it is just rocketing along the way that it is. The other wild card is that the whole idea that in-app, getting rid of in-app purchase tying is going to suddenly like remove this 30% cut that Apple's taking is not necessarily a thing that people should take for granted. Yeah. This yeah. was a big part of Epic versus Apple that Apple could at least theoretically based on the short references we've gotten in the ruling there just say okay well you have to just keep records and pay us 30% of everything and also you can you know pay a payment processing fee for some third party service. Yeah. And we've seen now Apple in what's the Netherlands and in Japan, they're like, we've reduced our cut if you use an outside payment processor and it's like 27%. Yep, it's 27%. <laughs> which doesn't even cover the amount that most payment processors charge. So like if you leave, don't look back, you know? <laughs> Sorry, that's just an OMD song. Um, it's a great, it's a great track. But if you leave, you're going to end up paying more. Like, and I think the Dutch regulator was like, did we see you? Yeah. Like, no, this doesn't <laughs> comply. I think Apple's like motivated to fight tooth and nail everywhere they go. I think the question is if those are kind of like court cases and regulatory decisions, right? The, the Japanese case was about app stores kind of generally. The Dutch case is really weird because it's just about dating apps because <laughs> Match Group filed the complaint and they only run dating apps. So you kind of just like end up with <laughs> just dating apps can use outside. This is a straight up law. Like the Congress of the United States is like on its way to passing a law. And I think that makes it more broad. I'm not sure how Apple like tries to fake it in the face of a law as opposed to like a regulatory decree that they must allow something. I think that will be very challenging for them. Google Hasn't Google done the same thing where they're like, we're going to take a smaller cut but still charge you? Yeah. I believe that's what they're doing in South Korea. Oh, I for, yeah. For, so it's like countries around the world are all trying this, and Apple and Google have settled on what if we find a loophole? Which I guess if you're a monopoly of the scale, like that's uh, yeah, it's a reasonable that's, position. Yeah. But I, I just, <laughs> I think these countries' governments don't? might notice. <laughs> like they're full of lawyers too. Okay, so that's the Open App Markets Act. That's the context. Yesterday, Microsoft put out this letter. They found their loophole. They found their loophole, which is that they do not run a successful mobile app store, <laughs> which is a great loophole. Uh, so strategy credit to them. They can make a Apple look like a villain. They're, Microsoft's very in favor of Open App Markets Act. Brad Smith, the president and chief legal officer of Microsoft, said Open App Markets is going to promote competition, ensure fairness, fairness and innovation in the app economy. By the way, Google was like, it's disappointing that Microsoft would lobby so hard. 
Which is like, what do you think you're doing, man? <laughs> Anyhow, so the Giants are, are mad at each other. Microsoft's into it. They release this letter. Addy, what does the letter say? Uh, the letter is saying, uh, Microsoft's kind of just laying its cards out here. It's saying, we're going to establish this set of open app store principles because we will really want to acquire Activision Blizzard. <laughs> and also there are a bunch of laws. And we want to prove we are going to follow the laws and you should let us acquire Activision Blizzard. <laughs> so good. <laughs> it is true the letter opens with like, we know, y'all. <laughs> like, we want to buy it. We know. <laughs> um, so the principles are like, they're basically the Open Act Markets Act, right? Essentially, yeah. They're grouped into some sections about sort of transparency and accountability that are a little bit wishy-washy and general. But then there is a section right at the end that says straight up, we're not going to require developers in our app store to use our payment systems. We won't require them to provide any more favorable terms. Uh, we won't prevent them from communicating directly with customers. And then also um, on Windows, which is a thing I'm sure we'll talk about in a moment, yeah. uh, says that we will continue to let them let people sideload apps. Thank you for continuing me to use my Windows PC in the way that I have been since they were first introduced. Uh, so that's fascinating. I will say we had uh, Nadella on Decoder. He said Windows was the open one. He previewed some of the stuff. They're, they still play a lot of games on Windows in terms of self-preferencing. Yeah. And their position is that Windows is not a store. Yeah. So they're like, they're committing to not preferencing in the store, but then Windows itself is like, have you heard about Microsoft Edge? I love it. Have you heard the good news <laughs> about Microsoft Edge? Like knocking on your door, wearing the suit, the whole thing <laughs> constantly. It's fantastic. <laughs> uh, and they're like, yeah, that's our platform. That's our distribution advantage is the existence of Windows. So if you put, we'll continue to allow sideloading. What they're saying is, but we will tell you at the operating system level about our stuff. Yeah. Which is fine. At least it's just telling and not forcing anymore. Uh, except if you try and Sorta. use any, uh, you know, links in any of the surfaces inside Windows, they'll just, it'll open up <laughs> Edge instead of Chrome or whatever you install. I mean, have you heard the good news? Edge is I'm good. using Microsoft Edge right Edge. now. You're using Edge right I'm now? Using, it's, it's on Edge right now. That's bold. No, Edge is, Edge is a great browser. And that's like, that's actually one of the bummers about Microsoft pushing it so hard is, uh, you just assume that if Microsoft is pushing it so hard, it must not be that good. Yeah, you assume it's it's, it's Internet Explorer all over again, but it's 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 kind of robust. I'm not gonna kind go, of robust. I'm, I'm not going to go on like a, a long drive about how much I enjoy Edge versus Chrome, but it typically doesn't make my computer sound like a jet engine. So, Addy, notably, we've been talking about Windows and the idea that Microsoft will graciously allow us to continue sideloading on Windows. By the way, even calling it sideloading on Windows is bonkers. Yeah, it's just normal loading. It's just what you do. <laughs> like, in fact, the way that they would prefer to use apps is really weird on Windows. Like, the Microsoft Windows Store is weird. Yeah. But anyway, that's Windows. They're, they're doing what they're going to do on Windows. Xbox, they're open with that is different. It is also true that they do really want to buy Activision Blizzard. So they're, they're making some commitments about supporting the PlayStation and then something. Go through that. Yeah. Um, so, again, Microsoft is somewhat laudably laying its cards on the table here, and it's saying there's a really big difference between general-purpose computing services and the app stores on them and on 
specialized services like consoles. And it's that lawmakers have made a bunch of regulations about general purpose computers, but not on consoles. So that's <laughs> one of their arguments. The other, more seriously, they're saying, look, these things operate differently. Um, if we're, we have this business model on Xbox that ensures that we're going to treat developers better, which is that on consoles, you sell the hardware at a loss and you have to make it up. And so in the current generation Xbox store, we're going to commit to some of the principles, the kind of what I was calling the, the wishy-washy transparency um, principles, but we're not going to allow sideloading. We're not going to allow alternate payment processing. And what we are going to do is make some kind of general commitment that we're going to move toward those things eventually. And in what they're calling a next generation marketplace for consoles, those are going to be a consideration. And also, they've identified that regulators care a bunch about whether you can play Call of Duty on PlayStation, and so you will be able to. <laughs> I mean, no, if you don't want, if you're like Microsoft, you're like, we got to get this deal over the, the fence. I don't know. The line. Through the finish line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The line. Through? Over. Through the tape. Yeah, through okay, the tape. That's it. And you're like, a major problem for us will be gamers calling their representatives if Call of Duty, <laughs> like, you're like, you're making the commitment. Yeah. Because I think that would be like what would torpedo the deal. It's like angry gamers could end this thing. <laughs> I love it. The language here is really interesting. They're committing to Call of Duty on PlayStation through the terms of the current deal, which we don't really know. There's like some reporting that suggests it's a few years. And they're like, and then we'll like keep our options open. So it's not forever, but the specific commitment is through the terms of the current deal, as far as I understand. Like I don't, I don't see any like permanent commitment to this. That, that, that's the part that kind of scares me, because any time a company says we're committed to something, I immediately assume they're not committed <laughs> or they are committed for like a very short duration. Yeah. Like Google was committed to not doing evil. Facebook was committed to not doing monopolies. Yeah. The, the, the line right. here is we have committed to Sony that we will also make them available on PlayStation beyond the existing agreement and into the future so that Sony fans can continue to enjoy the games they love. We're also interested in taking similar steps to support Nintendo's successful platform. So, Ooh. whatever. This is all part of the the grand game, my grand game theory, in that Xbox is going to go just be one of many ways to get to the the Xbox, like the Microsoft game cloud. The metaverse. Yeah. So here's my oh question. Oh my God, no. <laughs> Why did you? No, oh. we're, not, we're not going there. Please, disclosure. No. <laughs> Fair enough. We talked about like appliance versus general computing device, console versus general computing device a ton during Epic and Apple. Does Microsoft's argument in that vein like strike anybody as holding more water than Apple's in any way, shape or form? Like I'm particularly like offended by the Well, we sell it at a loss, so it's different. Well, you don't that you chose to do that. <laughs> yeah, like that's, I mean, it is a specialized thing. Like, there's a big difference between, as as any mom or dad will tell you, there's a big difference between a phone and an Xbox. Like, one is your parents want you to buy or want to buy you so that you could, like, they can contact you wherever. And one is, like, you get it on a holiday or your birthday. I see. You know, like, there is a difference between the two. It is much more a luxury item. I think the difference is, uh, I agree, but I think, from a totally abstracted perspective, it's like, what kind of commerce do you want to regulate? And if you look at the Xbox 
it's like video game commerce, which is like a healthy market with multiple competitors and stores. Well, it's just like three at this point. Well, three, but then there's also like Steam on PCs, yeah, 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 yeah. where Microsoft has graciously allowed sideloading. <laughs> Uh, right, and there's like there's like component vendors, and there's lots of studios, and they're always buying each other at this point, and then falling apart. Yeah, there's like, like three studios, right? And Microsoft wants to buy the third one. So like, it's not a great analogy, but like, it's a market that's like doing stuff, and it's vibrant in its way. Yeah, and if you look at the commerce on a phone, it's also all the money is in games. Just pointing that it's out, all the money's in. It's right, but it's also all commerce. Yeah. Like it, what you are dis- really discussing is like the future of all commerce, mm-hmm. right? Right. Like you can't buy a, a book on an iPhone without Apple having some notion that there's a difference between a Kindle ebook and a physical book. And, and you their cannot rule, buy a book at their all. rule is insane. Yeah, I think this came out at Epic versus Apple, right? The the Apple's conception of the difference between a hardcover book and a Kindle ebook is that. Amazon can verify that the physical book was delivered. <laughs> sure. Like, like, should that be, like, should we allow all commerce to flow through that tortured reasoning? <laughs> no. <laughs> and so, like, that, I would just split that off. Like, it, you have the games market, and it is true, a ton of the money on iOS devices is through games. And I believe that Apple could have headed this all off from the beginning if they're like, Every app category except for games can use other payment processors, and you, Candy Crush, are going to continue funding all of Apple's R&D efforts with your whales forever. Except now we do have to get into the metaverse, which, believe me, it it brings me no pleasure to do, (laughs) which is things like Roblox and 3D spaces are arguably just going to increasingly become general purpose places where people go and hang out. Like right. Roblox isn't straightforwardly a game and they that was extremely tortured during the trial. And so eventually like it's going to start getting weird and hard to draw that distinction too. Yeah, and I, I, one of the stories that we have been kind of like lightly trying to report and I think most of the game companies don't want to talk to us about this is like Apple versus creators is becoming a thing, right? If you are a creator and you want to, God forbid, you want to sell NFTs, right, Apple's like sitting there waiting to take a 30% cut. Um, Neil Mohan, the chief product officer from YouTube, was on the Verge yesterday. And he's like, we are thinking about this stuff because creators want to sell this stuff. And whether, like, obviously it's ideologically heated, but he's like, if you're us and all the creators are saying, can I just sell NFTs to my audience? Like, we have to think about it. Well, Apple is going to take a 30% cut out of the YouTube app. Is that fair to any creator? Like, I think that gets like the, if you're just looking at it from that perspective, like these are games and there's just a lot of activity in the games marketplace. And then this is everything. Dude, I don't know if that answers your question, right? Are these computers different? But I think from the perspective of, are these markets different? I, I can feel the difference there. I mean, that'll hold up in court. You can feel it. You know it when you see it, right? That's a, that's a legal standard, isn't it? Vibe law. <laughs> vibe law. <laughs> yes. I declare vibe law. <laughs> no, you're just going to stand up in court and just pound the table and yell, big mood. And that'll be the end of the case. <laughs> it could work. 
I say, we've been covering an awful lot of litigation lately, and more of it is based on that exact notion than you would even remotely begin to understand. Okay, so that is the Open App Markets Act. That's Microsoft's thing. We'll see where the bill goes in the Senate. The other really big one that we need to talk about today, the Earn It Act passed out of a Senate committee very oddly, like no hearing, lots of noise, lots of protest. This is the bill that would condition Section 230's protections on XYZ, hence earn it, a tortured backronym. Like like every backronym, I support banning those. I understand this may raise <laughs> First Amendment concerns. <laughs> the, the government is particularly bad at these. But, Addie, what are these conditions and what is the controversy? Um, the conditions are that if you are a platform and there is illegal child sexual abuse material on your platform, you have to make efforts to report that and to scan for it and to generally establish that you have worked to try to get it off your platform if you want any kind of legal Section 230 protection involving that material, if you want to be, say, protected from lawsuits, if something slips past your service, like if something slips past your filters, very broadly. So like on its face, that sounds reasonable. Sounds You're nice. basically saying to big platforms – you have to try to catch this stuff, and if you don't and someone finds it, you're liable for it existing. But if you are doing it, you get the protection of not being the publisher of that, and that's a – like that mechanic I think sounds reasonable, but it's very problematic in reality, right? Yeah. So one of the things – I should mention that the Earn It Act was introduced first last year. There were hearings on it at that point. It was equally controversial and it passed out of committee but then never ended up getting a full vote, is that one of the things that could potentially strip you of liability protections in theory is using end-to-end -end encryption. So if you want to have a platform that is secure, that is potentially you – giving up your Section 230 protections when it comes to any objectionable child exploitation material. And that is very bad, obviously, if you want to serve many of the people who benefit from encryption. Um, and the other argument is the kind of general argument about most Section 230 carve-outs, which is that they incentivize this very scorched-earth approach to taking down anything um, that might remotely trigger some kind of lawsuit. Um, and if you have something that obviously child exploitation is horrible, but if you want to take down just anything remotely related to sexuality that maybe someone might connect to a minor... That's also the kind of thing that people are worried about the Earn It Act incentivizing and that that stuff tends to fall really heavily, for one thing, on LGBT people, on people who are generally marginalized. Um, people are connecting it to SESTA-FOSTA, which was the 2018 bill that did something sort of like this for what it the idea was supposed to be sex trafficking. It ends up being really sex work in general. It was just led to this giant purge across the internet that was really damaging to a lot of people. And based on the government reports that we've seen and the anecdotal evidence hasn't really helped people and hasn't really stopped trafficking. So in this case, the idea is 
or the problem is, you would say, anything you have to build a system that scans for anything that looks like this material and do your best to get rid of it. Otherwise, you're liable for it. And you can't say, our service is encrypted, so we can't. So then you're, you're a tech company, and you're saying, well, we're just going to unencrypt everything and delete everything without regard for whether we're doing a good job, because that liability is too high. And I should be clear that the sponsors of the bill are calling the encryption debate a red herring. Their argument is basically using encryption isn't necessarily going to strip you of protection, but we're leaving room in there where it's not really clear. Um, And so this isn't a very straightforward, we're going to kill encryption bill. It is a, well, it would be pretty bad if you used encryption and then you were opened up to legal liability. The other thing that's... (laughs) I'm just going to walk around moving my fists like this. And if you walk into it... (laughs) Um, The other thing that probably should be mentioned is that even... Child exploitation groups often say, look, the really big platforms are already doing a lot of scanning. They report a bunch of material, and then that kind of gets used to make them look bad because they're gigantic platforms, and of course they're reporting things. And so if there's things slipping through, it's not necessarily clear that adding more legal liability is going to make them catch this material better. They already have incentives. They are already trying to scan it. The only way that you really stop things like this in platforms that are at operating at massive scale is that you just make those platforms not operate at massive scale anymore. Yeah. I, uh, there's a part here that I think is fascinating, right? If you allow the government to dictate what the platforms can scan and report and turn into lawsuits, criminal prosecutions, you can argue that the platforms become an extension of the government and then are restricted into only doing what the government would be allowed to do, Yeah, which is a smaller category of harms than like a private platform can do. So this is, it's just, the, the thing to me about all this is, is obviously extremely complicated. At the heart of it, I think, is like every politician wants encryption to be magic, right? They all <laughs> want there to be a backdoor to end-to-end encryption. They will not believe it that that is possi- not, not possible. Like, you can find any politician in America, like you're the local sanitation commissioner, and you're like, do you think, and then encryption has backdoors, like, that has to be possible. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, once you (laughs) achieve office, you believe this thing. It is not possible. And to me, this feels like an entire bill that is written with that possibility in mind, that you'll be able to offer encryption, but still do scanning and still give the keys to law enforcement when it's time. Yeah, it's just, it's basically saying you have to do that one really ill-advised Apple move from last year, or nothing. I actually, Addy, how do you think the Apple, the this, the local scanning, Apple would be so mad that I called it local scanning, but let's be honest, the hash matching, how do you think that plays into this? I mean, I, sh- I should caveat that Apple didn't do it, but... Um, That's true. For one thing, Apple's move wasn't... It was doing the kind of hash matching that a bunch of cloud services are already doing. So if anything, Apple would be on potentially shakier ground than something like Google Drive, which is very open about just, hey, look, we're scanning everything. (laughs) It's true. So Apple never rolled out its CSAM thing, but they were going to do it on the phone, right? They were trying to navigate this ability to have encryption, but do the hash matching locally on your device. If they had implemented something like that, do you think it would have gotten charted a course through this? 
I mean, it potentially could have. I'm just trying to imagine someone trying to explain this in court, and I'm just having trouble imagining that going well in any way. <laughs> Based on what we've seen. So it's very difficult for me to explain like how this would end up standing up, um, because even the bill itself is has had a just really tortured development and amendment process over the last year. So I think one of the problems is that it's really nebulous. That's my question. Like this thing, like like sneaking out of committee really fast on a scale of one to terrified. How should I feel about like, you know, the government outlawing encryption? Like that's the big scary end of this discussion. And it seems like there's enough nuance where like that's probably not right, but maybe it is. I don't know. It's confusing. Does this thing even have a chance of becoming law in its current form with these encryption concerns and with these concerns for, you know, marginalized and at-risk communities? It has, I mean, on paper, it has sort of the same chances it had last year where it also passed out of committee. One of the differences is that, like you mentioned, really just tech bills in general are at this point not having hearings like the uh, Open App Markets Act also didn't have a hearing and it was complained about during markup for that as well. There was a limited amount of time left really to pass bills. And so everyone's just trying to get the big tech bills out there. So yeah, it seems like there's potentially more momentum behind it this time. Again, we're still, you have to wait for it to pass through both houses. They have to reconcile. There's still a long ways to go here. But it does seem like Congress is more committed to just moving things through than it was during the period where you would have these very long rambling hearings um, that were often sort of devoted to everyone just saying their piece in grandstanding. Yeah. I think my fear, Dieter, is that this is the 230 reform bill. Like, it's the one that has gotten to this point. Everything else has died on the vine. Like, Josh Hawley being like, in order to get Section 230 protection, you must light a fire every day. Like, that just, like, didn't go anywhere. <laughs> um, I don't know what his ideas are. They're bad. This one is, like, everybody wants it. It's protecting children. And then they can all go into an election cycle and say, we passed 230 reform. Regardless of whether it's effective or meaningful 230 reform, they passed a 230 reform bill. And I, I think that means they're racing it forward because they know that's a winner given the absolute disaster of 230 discourse in this country. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's fascinating. We'll see where it goes. There's, there is a ton of protest about this bill, right? The tech companies are doing it. Fight for the Future is doing it. Civil rights groups are pushing back. So I don't know if this one's going to make it any farther, but you can see the political calculation is like dead ahead. All right. Uh, last two things we should mention before we let Addy go. Uh, speaking of deals, NVIDIA is going to buy ARM. And now they're not going to. And it's not happening what anymore. Happened there, Alex? <laughs> well, um, it, it seems like NVIDIA kind of just backed out. They realized there was a lot happening. They realized that they were under like so much scrutiny at this point about this massive, massive deal that they just said, no, cut it. <laughs> and and they still have to pay ARM, or not ARM, they still have to pay SoftBank, I think $1.2 billion. Dollars? Wait, who has to pay? NVIDIA has to pay SoftBank. NVIDIA still has to pay SoftBank. They should pay point. ARM that money. Yeah. Well, SoftBank owns ARM. Fair enough. So, so, so they, have to, they still have to pay SoftBank $1.25 billion because this didn't happen. And then the ARM CEO is still leaving. And the ARM's head of IP, Renee Haas, who used to work at NVIDIA on its ARM business. Oh, I see. Is still coming on, is going to come on as CEO. So it's a little, it's a little hinky. 
So that deal's over. It's over. It's, it's it seems done. like SoftBank is going to spin arm out. They're going to spin it out. They're going to do an IPO it. and make lots and lots of money that way. That's better for everybody. There should be more companies. Yes, more companies. On the flip side, uh, Warner Media uh, Discovery got approval to complete its purchase of Warner Media from the U.S. government. Yeah, which is hilarious. Gross. Well, not not from the U.S. They got they, they got approval from the U.S. government to purchase it from. AT&T. From AT&T. And yet, I think what was really upsetting is that nowhere in these filings, nowhere in their approval, was a mandate to make HBO Max not suck. (laughs) (laughs) One merger condition. Just one condition. Your app has to actually be good. We will let you do this. You have to assign at least one designer to this app. And it didn't happen. One full-time designer. Um, It's fascinating, by the way, that when AT&T tried to buy Warner, right, like the government was like, no, absolutely not. AT&T is like, we got to sell this thing. Government's like, please, by all means, anybody <laughs> yeah. who knows what they're doing should run this thing. Anyone but you. <laughs> um, we should mention in passing, there's obviously turmoil at Warner Media. There's the Jeff Zucker guy got fired. It's all a mess. We don't know what's going to happen to CNN, except they're about to launch CNN Plus, Ooh. their streaming service. It's That worked really well on the morning show. <laughs> And it's it's version. I'm the only one that watches that. David Zaslow, the CEO of Discovery Plus, is watching the morning show being like, well, don't do that. Yeah. Oh, no, no. <laughs> it's Scratch that. Get rid of that. Uh, so Warner Media, a uh, uh, somewhat troubled asset about to change hands. It's happening at yeah. the end of the year, right? Right. It's happening by the end of the year. And it still has to be like voted on. Discovery shareholders have to have to actually vote on it and, and approve it. But it's seeming like it's going to happen and you'll soon be able to watch – Euphoria and HGTV on the same app. That's all I care about. I'm so excited. Uh, <laughs> I hate I hate it and I love it. Two notes about HBO Max, real quick. One, Pump Up the Volume is now available on HBO yes. Max. Um, th- that movie is easily seventy percent of my personality. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to be really honest about it, it has some problematic bits. Don't cancel me over. I'm just saying it's on there. I was gonna say I don't know if it I don't know if it holds up as well as you think it does. Right, it doesn't. But it's still <laughs> it was a formative. I was like eight, man. Like it's not my fault. <laughs> uh, and then speaking of extremely problematic faves, Entre- you can watch all of Entourage. And if you want to take a time warp, no, into like another media environment, just watch Entourage. Like 2006, just right there. Yeah. You know, like there's this notion that time is flattened, you know, and like you things like things made in the sixties look noticeably different than like things made in the eighties. Yeah. Like just watch Entourage for two minutes, like, no, time is definitely not flattened. Yeah. Like, that definitely looks like twenty years ago. I, I used to think that I remember very vividly watching Buffy the Vampire Slayer and everybody was wearing like puka shell necklaces and I was like, This is the, this is fashion. It will never change from this moment. No, this will be the future. This will be all constant. I was very wrong. It is. It's great. Anyway, those are my HBO Max, Max notes for the week. <laughs> <laughs> Pump up the volume and uh, We got to take a break. Addy, thank you so much. This was great. We're going to come back and talk about Peloton with Victoria Song. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 
360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. We're back. Victoria Silence here. Hey, Victoria. Hey, how are you? I am great. We're excited to have you. Uh, Victoria is our new wearables reviewer, which kind of encompasses all of health and fitness. First time on the show. Welcome. Everyone be nice to Victoria. Actually, you have to be nice to Victoria because she has to deal with the next eight months of Wear OS 2 devices coming out, even though Wear OS 3 has been announced. Oh, She's my It's like God. the worst job on planet Earth. I'm so sorry. We're trying to oh. make her stay, man. What are you doing? <laughs> just running her off You've on You've been the gone for a cast. month. You're coming back. You're just threatening the reporters? <laughs> all right. All right. Well, speaking of endless, interminable news cycles, uh, <laughs> we've brought you here to talk about Peloton, which yes. is not a wearable, but is a connected fitness device. Obviously, uh, huge amounts of turmoil. Go through it, and then we should talk about what is going on with the CEO or ex-CEO. Okay, where do I begin? Do I start with this week? Do I start with three months ago? Anyway, well, we all know like Peloton was the pandemic darling. You know, it happened to be one of the companies that benefited from everyone being at home and being tired of being cooped up at home. And then, you know, um, it was all looking good for them. Then, you know, they had the Tread Plus that ended up injuring a lot of children, killing a child in one uh, instance, and then... Just, you know, that wasn't the start of it per se, but right about then is when everything started just spiraling into the toilet. They weren't making up as much money as they thought they were going to be doing, and they had spent hundreds of millions just kind of ramping up their manufacturing capabilities during the pandemic because they were like, oh no, who would ever want to go back to the gym? A lot of people, apparently. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And then, you know, this week they decided to just shake everything up. And uh, CEO John Foley surprisingly stepped down. He's uh, being replaced by Barry McCarthy, who used to be CFO at Netflix and Spotify. But he's not really going away, right? He's just becoming executive chairman in the background. And then, you know, they said they were shuttering these uh, North American manufacturing ambitions, that they were going to cut marketing spending completely for Q3 and Q4. Uh, just a lot of cost restructuring. And, 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 you know, of course, they laid off, well, actually, they fired 2,800 of their employees, which makes up 20, you know, among which is 20% of their corporate workforce. So just massive layoffs. Uh, and, you know, but everyone who got fired gets to have a free year of Peloton membership in the most <laughs> tone-deaf severance package uh, in recent history. So, there you go. That's that's the gist of what's going on there. So I want to talk about the new CEO who's obviously in charge. What's interesting, the rumors are Peloton's going to sell itself. Any company that you can think of is being floated as an acquirer. Apple will absolutely buy The it. Apple thing is uh, nuts. Ridiculous. Like, they're definitely not going to buy this thing. <laughs> like, Yeah. So, you know, everyone is just going crazy over these sales rumors. But what you have to understand is that a bunch of investors got in on Peloton when they were just, you know, riding high during the pandemic. And, you know, these investors want to make money. They want to keep, like, 
Peloton used to be valued at what, 50 billion, and now it's at 8 billion. So they've lost a lot of money, and these investors are not happy and they're not patient. So the best way to protect what they've put into Peloton is for Peloton to sell. Whether or not that's what Peloton wants to do, my argument is that that's not what they want to do right now, um, just based on everything that I heard in their earnings call, which was them going, oh, we're focusing on sustained growth. And, you know, there's so many opportunities ahead of Peloton and we can do it without capital funding. <laughs> so I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, OK, sure. But... <laughs> Well, also, it doesn't fully control like 80% of the stock. Like, No, him and his crew, they have 80% of the voting rights, which means no deal is going through without fully basically giving the okay. So he, he gave like this BS comment to the Wall Street Journal. He's like, I would love any opportunity to provide value to shareholders. But to me, you know, it, it doesn't track with what his actions are. So did the investors force him out of the CEO position? Is that is that why he stepped down? Well, you know, he's been under a lot of scrutiny. There's no doubt that there's been a crap ton of mismanagement with Peloton. Like, I mean, you just look at what they did. You're spending $420 million to buy Precor, which is the world's one of the world's largest commercial fitness equipment makers. They spent another $400 million to build a factory in Ohio. So, you know, they're not spending wisely. And Foley is a character. He's also spending hundreds of millions in patent wars with the competitors. So there's just a lot going on. And they lost, they just lost a huge patent suit, right? So like one of the things about whether you would buy it, right? Because everyone, I mean, it's like fun to think about Nike buying or Amazon buying. Like the Amazon argument is like, well, Amazon's good at shipping stuff. (laughs) And Pelotons are big and it's costly to ship them. So Amazon will fix it. Incredible reasoning. Or like you'll bundle it in like these, it's amazing to think about. Like if you're... If you have the sort of friends and family who will like go on this road with you, like just name a company and you can invent a reason for the Disney'll do it because you can go on Encanto rides, like just whatever you want is fine. My favorite argument, I don't remember who made it. I'm sorry, was that they hope Apple buys it because then Apple will be shipping Android tablets. That's really yes. good. I think that was long good, right? Because a Peloton screen is uh, just a giant Android tablet, so that'd be like, yeah, yeah. hilarious, right? Apple's never going to buy this because Peloton never realized its own business is selling. So, like subscription software. Yeah. And it's just realized on the bikes. But like the money is in the thing that isn't like a huge heavy thing that you have to sell to infinitely more people. It's like Apple is the richest company in the world, not because they have a great hardware business. Yep, they have a great hardware business. Very small hardware. Yeah. <laughs> but because every button you press in the iPhone makes like, money. Makes money for Apple. And like Foley put like his wife in charge of a pair. Like, what is yes. the easiest move for Peloton to make? You're watching the instructor. They're wearing the Peloton gear. It could be like, buy the shirt. Uh, is that yeah. what they call him? Buy your cycling uh, jersey, <laughs> cycling shield. <laughs> <laughs> What? <laughs> you're so, you know, your your bike trousers. <laughs> bike trousers. I love a pair of bike trousers. Wow. Are they the ones that kind of like balloon out? You know. Oh. <laughs> like I'm just you're, seeing somebody from like on their penny farthing driving down penny the street. Penny pantaloons. <laughs> obviously. A little pee. Who in America is not in the market for two-wheel half pants? Just go for it, man. So they, they haven't done any of this stuff None. to extract money out of the software. Yeah. There's no way Apple's buying a thing when they can, they have Fitness Plus. It's and they could just it. be like, put it on any bike and we'll make our money. It, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, uh, Fitness Plus is, I think Fitness Plus, them deciding to do that is just showing you that, like, 
they've seen what Peloton's done and they've thought, oh, we could do it better, more profitably. <laughs> so, and, and, you know, like if you take a Fitness Plus class versus a Peloton class, they're extremely different vibes. Like Fitness Plus is do what your body feels. Everything is great. Close your rings, that sort of thing. Whereas Peloton, um, I'm a little afraid of the Peloton instructors because they are super intense. And like I've been testing the tread and they're always like, can you push it just a little bit more, 1% more? And they're having me run at nine miles per hour already. So it's like, no, sir, I cannot push it. I do not want to push it anymore. This is a 640 mile you're having me run. I'm not Kipchoge. So uh, yeah, very, very different vibes. Also, if Apple wanted to, they could just hire the instructors. Yeah. Like, yeah. all those instructors are probably like, huh, we should look around. Like, Apple would be like, do you just want to work here? We can pay your salaries. And you get a watch instead of a year subscription. <laughs> 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 yeah. Although, I've heard their salaries are insane. Like, I don't know what Cody Rigby makes, but uh, Cody Rigsby has his own cult. So, he's That's incredible. But, but, like, if you're Apple and one of your choices is, like, buy all of Peloton yeah. or it's, like, pay yeah. one guy's inflated salary. Like, <laughs> they run a TV division. They're paying Reese Witherspoon's numbers. <laughs> like, they're like, or we can just, it's like, true. point a camera at this guy at the gym <laughs> and make money. So I think Apple is very unlikely. I, what I want to talk about is these quotes about Foley, the CEO, which this is all in a deck put out by an investor who wants him to go. Yeah. I think he might have been self-deprecating in some of these cases. But as a guy who interviews a lot of CEOs about structure at their companies, this one jumped out to me. So they asked him, is there anything about being CEO that you don't like that you delegate? And he goes, our CFO does 99% of finance. I engage because I want to know how we're doing. But to say I don't add value to our operation is an understatement. You can also say the same with technology. Our CTO doesn't get any help from me. I'll sometimes go months without talking to our CTO, which as CEO of a technology company, that's kind of rare. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, yeah. I mean. And it's like, I don't know that that's self-deprecating. The other ones, right, where like, are you a good manager? It's like, I'm not a very good manager. That's what you say to be self-deprecating. Saying the quiet part loud. Right. And if someone says, what are your strengths? And the quote here is, I'm not sure I have any strengths. Like, that's obviously just like self-deprecating. To be like, I don't talk to my chief technology officer <laughs> for months at a time. It's like a little too revealing. <laughs> like, no, no, don't say that. Yeah. Anyway, it seems like what's going to happen is they've, this the new CEO, who was CFO of Netflix and Spotify before, I'm told he's the real deal. People seem to really like him. But Does- he's not making a clean break from the old guy. No, right? no. They, they've they both spoken to the press about how they fo- look forward to working with each other, which, you know, translate that Foley is not going anywhere, really. He fully intends to be involved. And then on top of that, you know, this guy, he's walking into a powder keg. Not only have, like, 2,800 people been laid off, uh, they were pissed at the first all hands, you know, uh, fired employees came and crashed the party and basically gave him a very hard time. So he has to deal with extremely low morale and he has to deal with a very, you know, um, tight cost restructuring plan. And he has to deal with investors who are going to be continually pushing for a sale. So like, I think the real question here is, is he coming in to shape up Peloton so it can survive on its own? 
Or is he coming in to shape up Peloton so that they can get a slightly higher valuation in a sell-off? And like both of those, like I don't have a doubt that Peloton is going to survive in some shape or form. It like Peloton fans are some of the most loyal fans you'll find out there. They have like a 92% year-over-year subscription retention rate, which for fitness, I mean, come on, fitness. Like, (laughs) it's really hard. (laughs) Most people have given up on their New Year's resolutions by now. So that's very impressive to me. Um, I think their monthly churn for Q2 was not 1%. It was 0.79%. So people are sticking with them. That is wild. Yeah. Like, people love their Pelotons. Anytime you hear someone talk about their Pelotons or, like, you know somebody who loves their Peloton to the extent where it's a little insane, like, People want that user base. They want that subscriber base. So I really do feel like Peloton will survive and it'll, I mean, okay, this is the best story I have for how nuts Peloton fans are. Business Insider (laughs) ran a story about how after the recalls came, uh, people who owned the Tread Plus, which was the child killing treadmill, were like, I have pets. I have children. My treadmill's not going anywhere. I've been thrown (laughs) off this treadmill. I have injuries. I was thrown into a wall. It's not going anywhere. I love this thing. So, you know, the company is one thing, but the product itself is really strong. And everyone I've talked to is just baffled that they can't seem to make money. Yeah, I'm telling you, uh, cycling breastplates. <laughs> the the pantaloons. Uh, pantaloons. It's coming. Uh, I will say this. I Because, you know, Foley and his crew have so much voting power at that company, I'm not sure a new CEO can come in and be like, out with the old. I, I think this is like a dance. Yeah. Because if you're the new CEO of Peloton, you can't be like, well, that sounds like a good job. I'll just keep <laughs> doing what we were doing. Like, you have to make change. And especially if you're you have the resume of this guy, so we'll see. I've heard that he's an operator. It's amazing that they don't have just a merch store integrated onto that tablet. That's just, a free idea. Just, I'm just giving that one to you. Just right there. I'm trying to rescue you. We'll see. All right, we got to do a little bit of a lightning round. There's quite a bit here. Can I start with my favorite story, maybe of the year so far? Yes. Maybe sure. for the rest of the year. Uh, Mazda head units <laughs> in Seattle. And by yeah. the way, this is a second story about Mazda head units getting bricked by content. Um, as a Mazda owner, I'm, I'm not thrilled. Uh, there was a really great Reply All with Roman Mars. Yes. Remember this? Yep. So there's this amazing Reply All episode where some guy, it was super tech support, and like someone couldn't play a specific episode of Roman Mars, and they got all these other famous podcasters to make podcasts to figure out the bug. Yeah. And it was like some weird character was causing this podcast to just not play in a Mazda head unit. So that's one story. Yeah. This week, uh, a radio, a local NPR affiliate in Seattle, broadcasting over HD radio, which has a little image file, that, like station identification image file. Yeah, that image file was missing its extension. <laughs> it's a true story. So the Mazda head units, like locked up upon receipt of this image file, they would only play NPR. It's so good. Mazda owners like pulling the batteries of their cars to figure out what's going on. Head units aren't responsive. They start to lose all of their other features. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like can't play Bluetooth, can't play CDs. And it turns out the only fix for this is to replace the entire head unit. Yes. So Mazda's authorizing free replacements of the head unit. Yes. I love it's it. It's very good. I, just in Seattle. Just it's just one NPR station in Seattle. Like I, I just love it. They should give them their old bricked head unit to keep as a as a memento in a tote bag. Yeah. 
Oh, that'd be it's great. A, yeah. It's an well, NPR, NPR joke token. Yeah. Oh. yeah. Okay. <laughs> Little coffee cup. Vic, welcome to the Virgins, <laughs> Victoria. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> Who wants the next one? Dieter. Apple is uh, enabling tap to pay on its phone. So instead of having the little square thing that you stick in the headphone jack, RIP, or having to buy a point of sale thing, you could just have an iPhone and like people can tap to pay it. Yeah, I mean, this thing is going to take over. Like at yeah. all, every every coffee shop that I go to that has a little thing, like if, if I'm square right now, I am uh, shaken. Well, it depends because square runs like all the enterprise stuff on the back end, right? Yeah. Square can run your whole sure. business. I'm, I'm curious to see how this rolls out. I'm curious to see how it plays out. But I agree with you that like Square makes custom hardware, like speaking of Android tablets, yeah. like yeah. Square will sell, sell you was more or less an Android tablet. Or iPad. It's usually iPad, I thought. No, but now Square makes a thing. Oh, okay. Okay, well, it's yours, Alex. I, I'm very upset that, that Twitter is allowing people to watch videos faster or slower. Why? No. Yes, this I is great. You guys are all terrible. Like, I'm I'm all about, I'm with their- I'm You're one X gang. Oh, yeah. I'm Christopher Nolan, <laughs> director's intent. This is ruining it. This it comes out on this. This plus Samsung and, and this the, that S22 Note slash Ultra, like, the death of cinema- these, this is this is it on Twitter. On Twitter, Twitter is where you get your cinema, this and so you're death, outraged. The death of cinema on Twitter. <laughs> I am I am just beside myself. I mean, I think it, it is actually good. I I've listened to at least one podcast and one book on tape faster. And sometimes you're like watching those those cook prep videos, and you're like, okay, okay, I get it. You're, I watch you're everything at at least one point five. I have not set YouTube to one X in like two years. So like, are you always kind of stunned by like how deep people's voices are in real life? I'm stunned at how slow everyone talks all the <laughs> yeah. goddamn time. <laughs> so if you're in your car, if you're in your car, pull over, open up the settings on whatever your podcast app is on your dashboard, unless you have a Mazda, in which case it doesn't work. Don't um, do it. Don't do it. And just. Just change the speed to 1.5 or even 2, and then just think, see how much smarter we sound when we talk that fast, if you don't already listen that <laughs> The Vergecast never goes over. Never I, goes. It's yeah, always that's, exactly that's, an hour. I see it. I get it now. The, the whole show is done in like 45 minutes. It's good. It's great. Just And then and then tweet at Alex about how good it is, and then you can get back <laughs> to your Do not tweet again. at me uh, Alex it. H. Kranz. It's great. <laughs> uh, so we had Neil Mon from YouTube on Vergecast yesterday, and we did this like- Features like we yeah. asked the staff, what features do you want? I will not name names. Mm-hmm. One of the requests was, "Can I watch faster than two X?" Was it you? <laughs> it was not me. Was it? And was so it we Katie were like, Keck? "Are you serious?" And this person was like, "I'm dead serious. I know I'm weird." So we asked the head of product of YouTube, right? Like, here's our feature. And they, like Katie and I like had the usual stuff. Uh-huh. I want surround sound on YouTube TV. Yeah. When can I get background playing in iOS? Like all the stuff you'd expect. And then we hit him with, "Can we go faster than two X?" And Neil was like. What? <laughs> I want to find who That's this person never is. Come up. Like everything else we mentioned is like it's on a roadmap somewhere, you know. And he was like, "Yeah, there's like a lot of other stuff that happens when we play a video, like uh, like captions and advertising." He's like, "None of that stuff is built to go that fast. It's not happening." <laughs> but he was just very much like, "Yeah, I don't, I don't know." It's it's got to be someone. I'm like I'm trying to figure out who it is. It's got to be somebody who like grew up on VHS and just watches everything in fast forward. I'm not I'm not going to dox our staff at this time. I understand it. I've wa- I watch a lot of YouTube. It wasn't me. I didn't request this, but uh, <laughs> uh-huh, sure. I watch I watch a lot of YouTube videos. And no offense to YouTubers, but they have like twenty minutes in the beginning where I just don't care about your life. Just get to the part where I'm trying to look up how you cook the thing. That is the director's intent. Oh no, God. I that don't is, care. 
Yeah. You need to Every, respect the creator. That is the algorithm's intent because they've got to hit that eight minute mark so that they can get the double ads. Every yeah. YouTube the video intent. needs the skip to recipe button. Yes. Right? It's conceptually the same thing. It's like just get to the part where you tell me what to do. Take the cursor and then I just go boop and yeah. I'm there. Oh, in re- I see. Yeah. That's okay. It's fine. It's fine. It's not All fast right, forward. Well, this is technically a lightning round. <laughs> Victoria, Apple, it seems like Apple released some code that indicates its VR headset OS will be called Reality OS. Ew. (laughs) 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 I mean, I get it. They're not, you know, all of their OSs are not particularly uh, clever. Like, it's watchOS, iOS, iPadOS. So I get that it would be Reality OS. It's just kind of... I don't know. No one's named anything for mixed reality in a cool way thus far. Like, the metaverse is lame. I I hate the name. Like, I I don't know. I'm not loving the name, even though, like... And also, when are we going to see this? Like, we've heard this rumored for, I feel like, 12,000 years at this point. And they keep saying it's coming, but I don't know. Well, they're they're rumor mongers. Apple will say nothing. (laughs) Is the headset going to be called reality? So that's, like... Right? Because right? you got tvOS, yeah. it's Apple TV. You got iPadOS, it's an iPad. You got macOS, it's a Mac. Putting on reality. Apple Reality as a product name literally sounds like a parody. Like, there are YouTube comedians dressed up as Steve Jobs right now that have made videos that are like, it's Apple Reality. Well, you got to bring Johnny back for, Johnny back for that. Like, you, <laughs> I mean, look, like the, the, they can't do it because the FCC is going to be on them like a hawk if they try and get this thing cleared for radio interference because everybody knows that Apple's really bad at reality distortion fields. Wow. I knew it was coming and I was I clocked it and I it still hit me. It was like a yeah. It was like a punch to the face, Dieter. You felt it. You I saw just, it coming. I was like, uh, I'm just gonna have to sit here and take this hit. <laughs> Brace yourself. <laughs> Last one. We are way over. I do love being in the office. It's, it's great. Super Bowl this weekend. It's true. My team's not in it, so I don't like it. Not I don't like it at all. It's terrible. Will not be in 4K. Of course. Uh, no one wants to invest in this. It's on NBC. NBC notably broadcasting the Olympics in 4K. But because no. other people film the Olympics. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, you want us to shoot in 4K? Heavens no. At this point, I, like, you know, we asked them, we push at them. They're like, it's very expensive to upgrade all the cameras, to build all the infrastructure. Sure. I buy it. I'm sure. Sure. But it's also like 2022, <laughs> and you definitely have like dudes with Sony Alphas on the sidelines. I know those run in 4K. Yeah, oh, yeah. I have the same. We have the same cameras. <laughs> they could do it if they wanted to. That's what I choose to. Yeah. They, so again, we asked Neil. We're like, why don't you just pay them to upgrade? Google has money. Yeah. Use your money, <laughs> upgrade their cameras, and then like have an exclusive 4K. And, you, and he was like, I'll take it back to the team. Yes. Um, so, as usual, sure. my ideas hit a brick wall. Super Bowl 2023 on YouTube. I think it is ridiculous that the Super Bowl's on in, in 4K. So, if call, don't call your local NBC station. They're harried and they're trying to fix your Mazda. Uh, call someone. <laughs> Just make a phone call. Call Peacock. <laughs> Do they, does Peacock have, have a phone line? No. Do you think Peacock has customer they service? Yeah. <laughs> they have to have customers about? first. They, have, they barely have like UI designers. <laughs> uh, okay. That's it. That's the broadcast. We've gone way over. Thank you for sticking with us. Victoria, that was great. Thank you for coming on. Thanks for having me. What's your Twitter? It's at Vic M Song. Very clever, I know. But it's just me, not the K-pop star. She's not on Twitter. 
<laughs> important. Uh, Dieter is at Backlon. Alex is Alex H. Kranz. Addy is at the Dextriarchy. Chris is at Chris Welch. Shout out to our Making It Work package. It's like the fourth one we've done. Yes. We love small business coverage at The Verge. It's I really cool. It's so good. This one is all about fraudsters. It's very fun. Go check that out. Decoder this week was uh, xfox.com. Editor-in-Chief Lauren Williams, who's, I could be honest with you, it's like the loosest, giggliest episode of Decoder ever because we're <laughs> friends. She has a new new startup, which is really cool. Talk to her. Go listen to that. That is that. That's our chest. Rock and roll. Woo. Rock and roll.